Welcome back to the X Show today. This is your host, Tony Shu, and today I am joined by my co-host, Donna Shu. Hi, hi. We have a special guest today, don't we, Tony? We do, quite so. All the way up from Canada, which is also where I'm from. Yeah. No, he's on the east side, and I'm on the west. Mm-hmm. Opposite sides with same country. Yeah, yeah. That's how we like to think of it, yeah. But yeah, so he is uh, Anthony Tuton. He is a director and filmmaker who um, has actually fairly recently won an award for one of his films over in San Diego. Can you introduce yourself, Anthony? Yeah, my name is uh, Anthony McGraw-Teuton. I was born in St. John's, Newfoundland. I'm currently speaking with you from Toronto, Canada. And uh, yeah, my uh, documentary film, Teuton's Photography in the Business of Making Memories, which is about my great-grandfather, who is from Damascus, Syria, born in Maronite and came over in 1903 and uh, secured the first Kodak distributorship and Monopoly. Um, that film won uh, Best Documentary Short uh, down in San Diego um, in 2021. And uh, there had been some delays due to COVID uh, in terms of getting it out. But um, but yeah, it's, it's out now and um, I'm pretty happy to have completed it. But I went through a lot to try to get that done and of course there were a lot of personal um hurdles that i had to overcome and i think that's what um brought me to you guys so yeah uh, or you guys to me <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah yeah um anthony you know he has done he has done some great work um he specifically focuses a lot on document a uh, documentary style films and shorts but uh, today we're kind of here to talk about something a little bit different other than filmmaking uh, so Anthony here um, has, oh, would you like to say something? I just wanted, before we get into uh, our topic today, I want to give a quick disclaimer that what is discussed here is for entertainment entertainment purposes and does not constitute mental health advice. Since I am a licensed marriage and family therapist associate, I did want to make that clear. Um, you can take it away, Tony. Yes, yes. So Anthony has been... Uh, unfortunately, a survivor of um, male sexual sexual assault and has suffered PTSD uh, as a result of that, and that's really affected his life throughout there. And that's kind of, and that's what we'll be talking about here today. Uh, would you care to give us some background on that, Anthony? Yeah, um, it's a really challenging subject, but um, it's taken me over twenty years to essentially deal with um, to the best of my ability. And I'm very blessed to now have the voice that I have because I essentially lost everything due to an incident that happened, unfortunately, on my father's birthday, December 11th, back in 2002. And um, literally, in a in the blink of an eye, my life changed, and um, I uh, I was quickly diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder, which I you know, knew little about. I only knew of, of it and, you know, its effects due to uh, having heard of soldiers coming back from the war uh, or wars um, and not being able to deal with what they'd either seen and or experienced and uh, reintegrating themselves into society. And so I knew a little bit about that, but I didn't understand the diagnosis with respect to myself until um the symptoms truly came forth Mm. and um and the flashbacks and the flashbacks were the hardest thing um and and my sleep 
changed uh, dramatically. So I, I was actually um, drugged, and that's what constituted the basis of um, the perpetrator being able to do what they did to me. Um, but um, because I came to uh, during the incident, and I wish I, wish I hadn't, um, but I think that um, when you're out and something uh, egregious and nefarious and aggressive happens to you in a physical manner, it um, it embeds itself in your in your muscle memory um, and your DNA, um, and I think that that was really the hardest part. That matched with whatever um, drugs were put into my system, having um, those effects on me uh, in terms of you know I think what constitutes a bit of brain damage possibly, and um, that's mm-hmm. really untreatable. So, so it's that 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 kind of scenario, and then the PTSD kind of um, was something that I had to discover over time in terms of its effects. Mm-hmm. So I wasn't able; my, my entire life was derailed, and um, I was doing theater quite a bit prior to that, and I was the host of uh, a um, online uh, dot com website called Siv dot com s i e v e d dot com. And I had done some, you know, interviews with prominent individuals like Kiefer Sutherland and other people like that. And basically, I uh, one of the things I found um, was that I could not um, memorize things the way that I would before. So there are very palpable changes that took place. Mm-hmm. And the reason I say all this is because, uh, not to be belabored here, but the reason I say it is because since I've, um, really gotten back on track and found like a second or third or fourth win. Um, I, I almost feel like I'm on that age, you know, so I'm 45 now, but I feel like you're back I'm, there, you know, yeah. Like in my late twenties or mid twenties, mm-hmm. like in terms of having, having come full circle. Now what constituted that was, um, over time I, I had a misdiagnosis when I was in London, Ontario, after I ended up there for a Pearl Jam show and, and ended up uh, in the hospital and then and then got sidetracked, but I, I got misdiagnosed. And that diagnosis was, was overturned um, the last uh, year, year and a half. And, um, and so that actually put me back on track um, mm-hmm. because I was, I was put on the proper, taken off the, the horrible medications and put on kind of proper medications. And now... Mm-hmm. It's the first time that I've really been able to to speak about it, and I think what um, um, triggered this in terms of um, me being able to speak with you guys was the recent CBC article, um, which just you know highlights that and mentions that incident, but um, doesn't go into too much detail about it, and then um, you know speaks about my little kind of life trajectory, getting back on track with my documentary, and. Um, also, the uh, the script that I'm writing, which is loosely based on my experiences, called Baptism by Fire. So, mm-hmm. I appreciate that you uh, sharing that with us. I mean, that's what happened to you is is tragic, and it's. I mean, no one, no one, no one should judge you for the for having that happen. Because at the end of the day, you were a victim, and um, I, I think I, I agree with one of your points that you were kind of making there. Which is that um, you know people usually associate PTSD with 
with war, people coming back from a battlefield or some kind of war. Um, it probably goes all the way back from you know World War One when they used to call it shell shock. They didn't really understand how mental health worked. And really, I mean, when you look at the name post-traumatic stress disorder, it's any traumatic event could theoretically could theoretically uh, cause this. It's not limited to it's not limited to war or to any particular subject. It's a it's it's a serious mental mental health condition that affect that could have that could come from anything. Well, according to the DSM five, it's anything that is prolonged for six months. So if you are experiencing, there's a certain require there's like a requirement for falling under the diagnosis. But basically, if you're experiencing all those requirements for six months or more, it starts to fall into PTSD territory. There's like a whole other series of diagnoses that it could have been. I was curious, what were you diagnosed with um, that wasn't PTSD? Because I heard that it was recently that, sort of recently, within the last two years that you were diagnosed with PTSD. What was the other diagnosis before? Well, um, it's kind of complicated because I showed up in a, a very uh, debilitated state. And... Um, when I ended up in the hospital in London at Victoria Hospital. And mm -hmm. so what happened was uh, it was a range of, of uh, scenarios that led to that. And I think that my, because I had been diagnosed with ADD mm -hmm. um, and uh, prior to that. And so I think because that was going untreated and there were a bunch of different stressors that um, created this kind of perfect storm and so when I presented myself at the hospital, it was, um, uh, like, I, I missed the first part of the Pearl Jam show, by the way, because mm -hmm. of it. But, like, when I presented myself, it was, I guess it was, like, kind of um, in a schizoaffective um, capacity. So it was, like, like, what I'm getting at here is that wasn't me. That's, that's the exacerbation of the ADD not being treated the PTSD not being treated, mm. and and the symptoms exacerbating to the extent where it's almost like an out of body experience, mm -hmm. and so so I guess what there's there's a couple of people that knew me short, shortly thereafter and believe that in order to save me, so to speak, because I was so off, um, you know, it had to happen. There had to be some type of um, diagnosis there, but, but what I learned after the fact, um, Tana and Tony was, Tony, sorry, was um, that in Canada, uh, the healthcare system is um, is structured provincially. So the incident happened back in St. John's, Newfoundland. The diagnosis for uh, diagnosis for um, PTSD was done by a Dr. Patel there, and uh, who's the head of the emergency ward. And um, also, coincidentally, my family doctor. So that kind of helped me in certain capacities. And then what happened was um, when I ended up in Ontario and went through this long, stretched out, um, exhaustive, extreme, um, you know, uh, I guess re reactionary process to, to all of what had gone on back mm. in Newfoundland and the aftermath and the social components what happened was um because the 
the medical system is, is structured, like I said, provincially, they couldn't get access to any of my files back there. So I, I made the assumption that they could. So I was just following what they... Um, they were saying to you. Oh. Yeah. And, and so that's what I realized is a problem with the system in Canada. Um, I actually ended up in the hospital a couple of times down in, uh, once in Sarasota, Florida, and another time in Boston um, when I was visiting family there. And mm. um, they, they, I mean, that was the best treatment I ever got. Like, literally, like, like um, the flip of a switch. Um, and the, the doctors in both Sarasota and Boston were very, very, very specific about what was going on here. Like, no, you have PTSD. You have, this is exactly what needs to happen. And so I, I came back to Canada and, um, unfortunately the, it just like, it, it, it was like a very slow, slow, you know, draw. Like it was not, it was not very conducive to proper treatment. So mm-hmm. I was put on a set of medications that um, made me gain like 80 pounds, um, made wow. me like shut, shut down my whole, like, uh, you know, um, sense memory system. Like it was, it was very, 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 very bad. My reactions to the medications. Um, so flash forward, um, I made it back to, um, I kind of made demands. I kind of like, and that's not, people don't do that with normally with, um, Mm -hmm. the healthcare system here because it's considered free. Of course, it's not free. It's a tax-based system, and we pay our tax. But the fact of the matter is that um, I finally got a um, very strong new doctor, and um, she quickly overturned the uh, and, and signed off on the, the um, re-diagnosis of uh, ADD and, um, and post-traumatic stress disorder. And then, like, literally overnight, I was... You know, overnight initially the the effects were different and the symptoms were calmed, and then within a couple of weeks, um, everything changed. Now, there's uh, not again not to belabor these topics, but just to ensure that people know this, and for people that are going through it, um, a positive can come in like a negative when you have PTSD. That's what I learned. So mm-hmm. if you suddenly get re-diagnosed and everything's positive. You start to you start to become paranoid. You start to you start to think, okay, is this is this true? Like, is the you start to think the rug's going to be pulled out from underneath you, or the sky is falling? You know, like that story when we're kids. You know, like they, like oh my god, like is this real? Is this real? So you start to um, become suspect of it, mm. and so for 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 a period of time, um, that was a challenge as well. But then I started to ease into it. I started to feel more myself. And then it's like, okay, you just have to embrace this and move on. What did, so did you do therapy? Was that a part of your treatment or was it mainly medication? Well, I did therapy over the years. And a couple of interesting things on that. This gets back to Tony's comment about the war um, or, or people coming back from wars with PTSD. When you do group, group therapy, Group therapy um, as a patient, an outpatient. Well, the problem is that um, you can go into these groups and the people around you who have PTSD uh, either speak about what the causes were or they choose not to speak about what the causes were, but you realize that most of them are soldiers. So then you're thinking, okay, well, 
did I go through a war? Mm-hmm. You know, metaphorically speaking. Mm-hmm. Like, is this, is this what pe- is this what the medical system sees it as? And then it becomes very triggering, and becomes very sad, mm-hmm. and it can it, it it pushed me into a depressive state because I'd go into these, you know, uh, group therapy sessions, or I'd go into eventually did like some some CBT and like different mm-hmm. therapy like that. Mm-hmm. But it was all very, it was very triggering. It triggered me. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, actually what worked best for me was um, delving myself into work, whether that's behind the scenes or um, helping others with their projects um, and uh, going behind the camera because I don't want to be exposed type thing. I don't want people to see me like overweight. I don't want people to see me in these states. If I do, you know, start to get like um, emotions come up, then um, that are triggered because I had a horrible nightmare the night before or something like that, or I had a horrible therapy session or something that triggered things, then I can like quickly like kind of hide behind the camera and like wipe my tears away, that type of thing, or hide, mm-hmm. you know, in the edit- editing uh, suite. So like, that's what it was kind of like for me. Whereas before it was all about, I need to get out and express myself as an actor. I'm going to find this script like suburbia or PVP wars, or, you know, my acting, um, classes with Kenneth McGregor, where I do like, uh, and this is kind of prescient because it came before, but like, um, uh, take on the role of Ron Kovic from born on the 4th of July by Oliver Stone. And, and, and just like do that. And, and, and yet, I look back at that that footage of, of acting in that acting class, <laughs> excuse me, and um, there's some stuff in there that is totally, um, you know, uh, prescient because it, it it's like, I should have stayed down, I should have stayed down, you know, stuff like that. And I would think, oh my God, like, you know, I should have stayed down that, that next day when I was like completely out of it, you know, and messed up after the incident. So it was almost like, if you look at the trajectory, there's almost like these things that I experienced before that should have taught me to really be on the lookout and really be on the guard to prevent, you know, mm-hmm. somebody, you know, there's just too much trust. I was too trusting. Mm-hmm. So, um, so yeah, it's, so therapy didn't really, the therapy didn't really, um, help that much. It's unfortunate because Therapy is only as good as the therapist. So, and I said that, (laughs) I know it's a bold thing to say, but it's true because it, it benefits if it's done well, if it's catered to the client, if it's not catered or if it's maybe the, maybe the inadequate model, um, what would have probably been helpful is if you had done something that's more EMDR that focuses on PTSD. There are certain therapies that are specific for certain certain um, ailments. So it wouldn't necessarily just be like a free-for-all, like CBT. CBT can be helpful if you're at a different stage. Anyways, I did want to say that. Um, it wasn't helpful probably because it wasn't done in a manner that was catered to you that you needed. And that's just feedback for all therapists out there that that does happen. It is something that we need to hear so that we learn how to be better for our clients. 
Um, yeah, and, and can I just interject for a second on that? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so EMDR is not actually covered by healthcare in Canada. Oh, so I didn't I know kept, that. Sorry. Yeah. I had no idea. So I kept um, knocking on doors, knocking on doors. Like, like I wanted help, right? Like, if I would have given up if, uh, and there were several times when I was close to giving up, mm-hmm. um, um, which makes me feel for other people. But I, I, I carried on, and I, I would go through stages where, and nobody's, like, compensating me for, for any of it, right? Like, and I'm trying to get... So it's like, okay, what do I need here? This is not working. What can I do? Mm-hmm. Like, and I research and research and thank God for the internet um, because you can do all this research. And then I would speak to doctors and they would say, okay, you need to do EMDR. And then I'd find out that it's not covered. And then I was oh. like, okay. You, know, you did what you um, had to do. So, yeah. So, so what I realized too was that um, in the U.S., Whenever I was there, and I tried, there was a period where I traveled quite a bit throughout the United States with an ex-girlfriend of mine, and um, I always felt safe. I mean, it's so ironic by by virtue of what you hear in the news, but I I literally like always felt safe, mm-hmm. and um, even when there was like it was just so much better stru- um, structured, and when I did end up in the hospitals because I was so you know, I'd, I'd get to a point where I just absolutely needed immediate help. Like, it's to the point where the P- PTSD com- would come over me in a physiological mm-hmm. manner. So it was a, it, I was showing physical ailments, and then I would think that there's something else wrong with me. So um, that I need to get to the hospital. And then they would say, no, this is, this is literally, like, associated with your PTSD. Not misdiagnose me, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know. And and get the files from Newfoundland, and I was like, why can't this happen in Canada? Why can't why can't I get EMDR here? Why I can't no I idea. do this? Why can't I do that? Yeah, so we have a two tiered system here, and so unless you go through this through something like that, you don't realize. It's like I said to you guys before um, when we first met uh, over the phone. If you don't go down the street, you don't know what the houses look like. Well, I found out what the houses look like with respect to getting treatment, mm. and. They're not very nice looking houses. <laughs> oh, man, um, Anthony. I, I had no idea. Yeah, yeah so so um, the other thing too is when I um, you know, discovered that, that you guys were from Texas, um, a lot it was so funny, uh, and I believe everything happens for a reason. And um, that said, there were a lot Texas was coming up over and over and over again. There were a lot of people that were saying like, you know, even for different reasons, like even from a creative standpoint, it was like you have to go down to Austin, you know, mm-hmm. you have to go. To, and then, and then I was like thinking to myself at different points, it's like if I could, if I could really pull this off to get down to the U.S., given my own experiences, I bet you I could get the proper treatment. So that's why um, when you're in that state constantly, it, it just takes over your life, mm-hmm. and so you're just in survival mode, and then you realize, okay, well. You know, how much would I have to earn or access to be able to do this? And then it's really like, oh, I'm, I'd be going down to work or try to get work. And that's what my um, approach would be. And then only to try to, on the side, get proper treatment. You know? Mm-hmm. So it's kind of a, a, chicken and egg, a chicken and egg thing as well. But. Mm-hmm. So, so I wanted to 
mention talk about something that you mentioned earlier. You mentioned that PTSD had a tendency to turn positive into negatives, and from what you're telling me, it sounds like you know it really. It sounds to me like with PTSD, it really took away a lot of the. Um, I'm not quite sure how to phrase it, but certainty about life and the things that you're told, and it kind of took away, and it kind of took away that um, you know that understanding, that uh, belief that most people have that you know what something looks like is what it is. Yeah. So nothing's as it seems, right? Um, to begin with. And there's always smoke and mirrors, and especially in this, you know, society and set of cultures within which we live, and you know, the 2000s and onward, like to 2023. I mean, it's um, it's clear to me that when you have a purview upon which you're you're looking outward, outwardly, you 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 see it. Your purview with PTSD is to to constantly analyze things and constantly be on guard. So you can you can say that there were signs that um, that I like I, I was I was I was apprehensive and scared to revisit the time before the incident actually happened. So that's another thing. So there's almost an element of amnesia because you're you're trying to protect yourself mm-hmm. from not seeing, from from not believing that you didn't see the signs, right? Mm-hmm. Or that you did see the signs. So so like when you look back and you actually face it, you have to be in a very very strong um, place. You have to be in a place of mm-hmm. enormous strength mm-hmm. in order to to re not just relive. But reevaluate what happened prior and what built up to that, so that it doesn't happen again. And it's like uh, a reactionary process that is similar to uh, fight or flight, and that's what it was for me. Mm-hmm. And so, what would happen is I could misperceive a positive, or a positive could come in in such a capacity that. I wouldn't be able to embrace it. So it's not like right. waking up, you know, so so Christmas Day is completely different. And so, you know, I would, you know, that type of example. And so I go through these things where what was supposed to be positive, what was supposed to be great, I couldn't embrace, I couldn't enjoy. So it sounds like it made you suspicious of, things that were coming into your life that turned that positive into a negative. Yes. I'm very, very suspect. Very cautious. But cautious on the inside. So what does one do, generally speaking, if they're um, in that state? They'll either retreat and or if they do go out, it's a constant sense of fear. Mm-hmm. It's a constant sense of... So, so why then would I feel safer in more dangerous, supposedly more dangerous places. Probably because the danger is a lot more obvious. So like... It's familiar. Um, yeah. And so so uh, I'll give you an example of what I found very intriguing um, in light of that. So I started going, uh, being uh, attracted to, especially in Toronto, like being attracted to like 
why are there so many people that are homeless? Why are there so many people that are out on the streets? And so sometimes I go out and uh, and like my girlfriend, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> and I discuss this quite a bit. I'd go out on on the street and I would try to ingratiate myself with them and find out what the structure is. And I was just like, I wanted to do a documentary about it, but I realized, no, that's not right. You know, to do a documentary about myself, not others. Um, but I don't want it to be uh, a vanity project or anything mm-hmm. like that. But like, mm-hmm. in terms of trying to understand this information, it was it was a genuine desire to want to help and out of that desire to want to help. So I, I went out and I, I met people that literally changed my life, like within a very short period of time. And one of them was a guy that, um, this was right around the time of the CBC article coming out, like it was a, a couple of weeks before it. So I knew it was coming. I had done the interviews. I was told the date that it was going to come out. It had been delayed by a week, and I wasn't sure as to why. But I met these these people, and I was introduced to this one guy. And I won't say his name because, um, you know, I want to ensure that that he's he's fine and stuff and mm-hmm. protected. But um, he was uh, he he walked me down Young Street here in Toronto, which is actually the longest street in Canada, if not the world, I'm not sure, but, um, but, um, he walked me by what is now, um, an empty space and they're building condos there. And he said to me, he's like, you remember that building? I'm like, yeah, I kind of do. Like from years ago when I was at U- the university of Toronto and when I was at Ridley college down in St. Catharines and coming up to Toronto, I would see this building and there were always like, um, people on the street like standing outside like younger i don't want to say street kids because that's not that's not fair mm-hmm. but um and i'd always be like wow like i'm like one degree separated like they're right there i'm right here um you know and i'm one degree separated from being them i remember like thinking that and it was a building called the evergreen and uh this this guy uh, he was in his late 20s, early 30s, walked me down the street, and he's like, remember that building? I'm like, yeah, yeah, the Evergreen. And he's like, that was my home. They tore down my home. Mm. And I said, what, what do you mean? And he said, when I was 11, my parents dropped me off right there, and I never saw them again. And he's still on the street, but it's kind of, full circle because when he was saying his home had been torn down, I understand what what he meant. He's like, every recent memory that I have is in that building and it's gone. And I thought about it and I'm like, wow, the attachment that you can create to any scenario, like um, mm-hmm. a house doesn't really make a home like Bono says, but like in this case, that like he's still he's still living around that area like that's where he that's all he knows Mm -hmm. and the reason that he was dropped off because he had been sexually assaulted and his parents didn't um didn't help him they helped him by dropping him off on the street in like one of the most dangerous parts of downtown toronto so you start to learn that and then then i met some other people and i said what's the consistent um factor here and um 
this older gentleman that looks out for like all the kids and stuff that are on the street and he said um or young adults and he said sexual assault they've all been raped they've all been like brutally sexually assaulted and i'm like wow i mean so here you got me who's trying to use the system to get better mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. and accepting that people are going to possibly make mistakes people are going to make misjudgments one day you can speak a certain way because you've had a set of nightmares the night before and that can get you misdiagnosed and then you're on medications that like, will take you years to come off of mm-hmm. right so and then and then these guys just get it they just know this is my lot in life i have to survive and that's what it's about and so i'm very blessed that these individuals ingratiated themselves with me as I was trying to ingratiate myself with them mm-hmm. to not mm-hmm. not only try to help them but they helped me you know because I got some perspective so. mm-hmm. you found out you were not alone exactly and it took me years to be able to get the tenacity to be able to pull myself into what could be dangerous situations where they entrusted me they don't just trust anybody like he even said to me um that gentleman he said i i can see it in your eyes i can see it in your eyes and i'm like <laughs> like mm-hmm. wow i mean so i actually am giving off that energy and um so you don't feel alone you actually feel like wow these these, these people can not only so so other people when i go into normal situations social situations being from an upper middle class family and all that sort of stuff and going to the best schools in Canada and whatnot, like, then after this incident, they're looking at you like yet you have 10 heads, and uh, mm-hmm. you don't feel associated with them at all, you know, mm-hmm. so so there's that element, but they, they're, I, I remember early on, I opened up to a old professor of mine um, at Memorial University, who was the head of the philosophy department, and he's since passed away, but he um he helped me out quite a bit and I I broke down in his office one day and told him what had happened and he said he put his hand on my shoulder he said the hardest thing is going to be um, the social backlash if you if you open up and speak out about this so um, so that CBC article was the first time that anything had ever been formally mentioned um, because I was you know fairly public and stuff and and um, on the stage and whatnot before mm-hmm. and uh, always bouncing back and forth between Toronto and Ontario and uh, Newfoundland um, and or like Nova Scotia, Halifax, which is where my mom and my sister live now. But um, the other thing that I just wanted to mention too is that my father unfortunately was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer mm-hmm. back mm-hmm. in October of uh, 2018. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, he passed away in February of 2019. So mm-hmm. he had a very quick um, uh, ailment and time before he passed. And so um, when he passed, that I wasn't ready for that. Like I realized yeah. that he could he could throw um, up smoke screens and stuff like that to to protect me in a capacity that where he understood the mainland of Canada um, mm-hmm. as being totally separate from the island of Newfoundland, so which is where the incident had happened. So 
So he was doing quite a bit, I think, behind the scenes, and that was actually expressed to me by one of his friends, uh, who's a pastor, and um, said he could run interference quite quickly. So there's a lot of stuff that I've experienced now, which I feel comes out of either having made the documentary I made about my great-grandfather and or the incident that derailed mm-hmm. my ability to do that for many years. So And the PTSD, right? So. Mm-hmm. May I just comment that, you know, what you were saying earlier about being suspicious of everything and yeah. essentially thinking far, far more than the average individual would about almost any situation. I mean, that sounds mentally exhausting, doing that it's, all the time. I was just going to say exhaustion sets in because going to a social event isn't like, oh, I met this person. It's like, oh, did I say the wrong thing? Mm-hmm. Oh, like, was that person trying to drug my drink? Was that per- like, it sounds crazy because it is crazy. Mm-hmm. I mean, the fact of the matter is nobody should ever feel unsafe in a, um, in, in a civilized society. It's, it's, it go, it's barbaric. It's, it's, it's literally barbaric. The, mm. the, the act is barbaric. Look, rape is rape. There's no differentiation. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like when Senator Todd Aiken made those statements saying there's certain types of rape, you know, and then uh, President Obama immediately, to, to his credit, came out and said, and regardless of one's politics, that's what my point is. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. President Obama came out and said, look, rape is rape. You can't be parsing and slicing, you know, which forms of rape are rape and which forms are not, you know, because mm-hmm. at the end of the at the end of the day, the person is left ravaged and has to pick up the pieces and put their lives back together, you know, mm-hmm. and um, and that's and 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 there has to be some form of support. So, again, like strong leadership is important um, with respect to telling people blatantly that it's not your fault you know because mm-hmm. you, you in terms in terms of that suspicion tony the fact is you go out and you know you can be pumping gas at a gas station and think oh that guy's like gonna steal my stuff like you know mm-hmm. like I, I, I gotta you know now when something does happen like that you know and you didn't lock your doors or something then and and so I've been targeted numerous times to the extent that everyone thinks that I'm behind it or it's my fault, right? Like I gave away my equipment that was stolen or I mm. traded it for something. They'll find any excuse to blame me, and then mm. that's what makes it the hardest. And it's generally people close to you that doubt you. It's mm. not the it's victim the, blaming. Yeah, and so and and then they also can be critical if you if they think you're using the victim card. Mm-hmm. So, hey, put this, you know, put this behind you. Like, it happened 20 years ago. It happened, like, you know, X, Y, Z. Like, you know, so, so there's that element as well. But that's all to do with trying to, you know, um, put yourself back in front of people and, and back into back into society. But I also think that you can become unemployable because of this type of um, reaction. Mm-hmm. So then it's like, like I sometimes think if I hadn't come to during the attack, 
to only to get knocked out again. Um, I, I often wonder, like I, I I mentioned it earlier at the beginning of this conversation, but I often wonder, like how that would have impacted me. Would, would I, like, would it have just been in my in the back of my my memory, like, mm-hmm. and it would mm-hmm. I wouldn't have known what had happened. It's possible. Or, yeah. So, and and to what extent did the rohypnol or whatever was put into my system truly impact me? I mean, I feel that that may have had a, a more dire effect than anything else. But the incident would have happened would not have happened if if I hadn't been drugged. Mm-hmm. So. There's those elements too. Yeah, there. You don't. I don't think it's too trusting to be with someone in a high position and believe that they will not drug you. I don't think that's a too trusting thing. If uh, when uh, it's it's the I think that's the equivalent that they tell men about whenever there's any kind of sexual assault. For women, it's what were you wearing, and for men, it's you were way too naive. You were way too trusting. That's what I've heard. And both are, um, it's the, both are similar in that you should have known better. It's the assumption that you should have known better, but that's not the case. You're in a professional setting, speaking to people who are professionals that you know, and you trust, and you expect them to remain trustworthy. And, um, that is not what happened. So it is a betrayal. It is not. And then every, you were saying something earlier that you were like, it was crazy. I was crazy. I was wondering, you know, when you were talking about how you felt like you might be, uh, someone was going to assault you or someone was going to like steal something. That is a hyper vigilant response, which is an appropriate response to a traumatic event. And I, I really do. I even I say this to to any clients whenever they tell me it's because I'm crazy. It's like no, something severe happened to you. If you were to not react at all and be completely okay that that happened to you and you're totally fine, moving on with your life like nothing happened, I would be more concerned. Yes, and and that's a, a great point. And again. As a therapist, if you're saying that to your patients who have PTSD, in my mind, that's what they have to hear. Because the, the reality is you, positive reinforcement is crucial. So I'm very blessed that there were some people that came in at a very high level to help me out. Mm-hmm. Like they knew exactly what had happened. They got to the bottom of it and they said it was a cover-up. And they told me at a very, very high level mm-hmm. and like freaked out. So just as there may be somebody out there that's wanting to shut me up or at different points, um, and that may be why I wasn't able to find my voice was because mm-hmm. there's people that know what had happened, know that I'm not gay, know that this individual perpetrator said that it was consensual, did it to numerous other people, many of whom I found out happened after me, who came to me for help, who came to me thinking that I could, if this happened to Anthony and he can't do anything about it, then what the hell am I supposed to do? Mm. Like, because, you know, they thought, okay, well, he's from a prominent family. He's going to be able to take... And then there was also doubt. Well, the person didn't get charged, the perpetrator. So, uh, therefore, Anthony must be lying. <laughs> this guy said it was consensual. And apparently, 
that's a, that allows him to that exonerates him from being able of, uh, to be charged, mm-hmm. which would have shut the whole thing down right away. Mm-hmm. So we're dealing with you know totally different cultures here, completely distinct society in Newfoundland. I don't know if you ever heard of the Mount Cashel crisis. Mm-mm. There's a recent interview with uh, Tom Power on uh, Q on CBC Radio here in Canada, and uh, he uh, interviewed Bono. They actually won a, uh, a major award out of New York uh, um, for it, a journalism award. And, uh, like, I think it may be the first time that somebody in that position, like Tom, who is a bona fide genius, essentially, he, uh, he used the pulpit to um, say to Bono, um, you know, we had this, you know, situation called Mount Cashel, or with the Mount Cashel Orphanage, and the priests back, uh, the Catholic Church back in Newfoundland, and um, it changed his perspective on the church. Mm-hmm. And then Bono's response to that, I thought, was was also ingenious, because, and then that's what, that's what actually prompted me to be able to do the article and the interviews for that because I thought, wow, I, if, the, if they can speak about, mm-hmm. about the culture of rape and sexual assault and whatnot, then I can. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. It's, it's a bad word because it's horrible. It's a, an egregious mm-hmm. act. And, you know, um, mm-hmm. to think this just happens to women is just absurd. Like we were saying before, Donna, uh, one in three women, mm-hmm. you know, are sexually stat. assaulted and are raped, and one in five men. And the thing is, it's not proper or appropriate in our society, apparently, for men to speak out against it. But mm-hmm. <laughs> that's what we're this doing. Is why people, <clears throat> yeah, this is why people turn to drugs and alcohol. <clears throat> and nobody should either, you should even be faulted for that. You know, um, mm-hmm. with respect to PTSD and the wars, when alcohol was illegal, doctors were prescribing it, you know, because... I didn't know that, actually. <laughs> yeah. Actually, mm. um, there's some famous doctors and famous cases where doctors would, would literally put their careers on the line because there was such a need to help people with PTSD. Now, that gets swept under the rug historically a lot. Mm-hmm. And... Um, you know, it's it's unfortunate, but it, there, there's there's no doubt that people will try to self-medicate mm-hmm. if they're not able to find it through um, proper, supposedly proper means. There, what I realized was that there is no such thing as proper. You got to do it your own way. You have to chart your own course. If you want to live, you got to do whatever you can within your power to find your voice again. To say I don't care, like it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks it will still affect you mm-hmm. but you you have to if you you know for me it was like okay what about all my training like did i forget that as well what about like i'm not just talking about training like as a filmmaker winning the entrance scholarship to film school and going to film school and meeting all these amazing people that are in the industry but i'm talking and and, and feeling like i could never do it again i'm talking more about training with respect to martial arts training with respect to uh, preparing for these type of situations. I mean, how is it that I could have excelled at Jeet Kune Do, which is Bruce Lee's martial, martial art, mm-hmm. and like, you know, real, like been able to, to deal with any situation that came at me 
and then not be able to have dealt with this and not being able to, you know, physically get myself out of the situation when I came to, it's because of the drugs. Yeah. And if that's not clear enough to the general populace or to certain social um, circles that were around me or to the police, then that's it. You know, like I'll find my own way, right. you know, and that's, and that's why I believe that um, it's so important to get the message out now because, because there is, there is truth in it and there is um, always an option to, to dig yourself out of the hole, climb out of the bucket. It's like crabs in a bucket, right? You, mm-hmm. We talk about this in Newfoundland, right? Where one crab will try to get out and all the other crabs will take it back down, you know? And um, not be so they all stay in the bucket, right? So, so you have to be that crab that doesn't stay in the bucket, so to speak. Right. Right. I mean, I, um, you know, I, I I agree with you, and it's it's that element of surprise, and you know, of victims of sexual assault anyway. You know, whatever, whatever, whatever they identify as, man, woman, or anything else. You know, at the end of the day, you they shouldn't be faulted for for be essentially being ambushed during what would otherwise be a, a very regular occasion. Well, consent is key. If there is no consent and you were drugged and can't give consent, you don't put the tea. You don't force the tea down the person's throat. Oh okay. yeah, the tea video. But um, yeah, I mean, I mean, there's no real mistaking the book. You were you were ambushed and. Yeah. The, and you know no one can be in their guard all the time and people who are you know they're exhausted they mm-hmm. they're exhausted in in essence you know you were suffering from being on guard all the time as a result of the PTSD and so I mean really there's, there's nothing to blame the victim for in mm-hmm. in these kinds of situations you were in a regular they were in regular situations or otherwise fairly regular situations and they were preyed upon by something that was completely unexpected. And that's what gets them. It's because it's unexpected. If you expect, if you didn't trust everybody, therefore you would have never had that happen. But it's like, come on, you right. gotta trust someone. Right. Well, thank you so yeah, much and, for and the up oh, upside. Oh, Go on, Anthony. I just wanted to say, actually, on that point, trusting the authorities is um, sometimes a nail in the coffin because you pour yourself out and that's also exhaustive Mm -hmm. and scary. And then it's like, oh, okay, they're asking me these questions. They know what happened. And then off to the side, they say, we know exactly what happened. Just get on with your life and make your documentary. (laughs) And then on the, the flip side, they're grilling you. And it's like the mm. most intense scenario. So you're having to relive the scenario, triggers everything. And then mm-hmm. the other thing I just want to mention quickly is that when I, um, when other people came to me for help, it would trigger me. I would fight for them more than I was fighting for myself. And that would inevitably sometimes uh, find me in trouble. Mm-hmm. So, um, so that was kind of a eye opener as well. But I really appreciate this uh, conversation. I hope I haven't been too didactic or uh, in depth, and I hope that I haven't been too exhaustive in trying to find the words 
she put to this uh, her horrendous incident, which um, happened by a nefarious individual mm-hmm. who, uh, through his actions, who um, I I've said before, and it was said in the article. I I just hope that it doesn't happen to anybody else, um, and that this person. Um, can uh, find the help that they need because um, they clearly have a different outlook on what took place than than what I did, and then it comes down to semantics, and that's just bullshit. And uh, right. you know, so anyways, I I really appreciate this opportunity, Tony and Donna. Mm-hmm. No, we really appreciate having you on board on here to talk to us, and you know, this is a subject that we really need to get awareness out. Uh, well, we've only got a couple minutes left, and mm-hmm. uh, so we just we'll just ask you one more question here. Okay. Yep. Um, so, if you could say anything to men or boys, teenagers out there that have been through a similar experience, what would you tell them? Stay the course. Don't ever tell anybody the wrong things be true to your word to thine own self be true and I mean that literally so that as long as you're true to yourself you will find your way out of the paper bag so to speak Mm. you know it's you don't have to act you can be yourself and you will find some solace and there's always a way out like don't it's like in the in the film industry or in acting you know it's not about your successes. It's about your failures. It's about accepting failure. And mm-hmm. so, unfortunately, this failure is caused by somebody else in a nefarious, to use that term again, capacity. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't define you. It doesn't define me. Mm-hmm. It, it, it has to be relinquished, and it can be. And for the people that have access to the resources that are necessary to move forward to absolutely accept them. Uh, What I found ironic was when you're growing up, they say, um, always tell the truth and know that you can ask for help. And as long as you ask for help, you'll get it. Well, there were Mm -hmm. a lot of shut doors for me. And for anybody that's encountered the same thing, um, it, it can. I'm not. I'm not saying that this is not going to rear its head again and and affect me, but the fear goes away. Mm-hmm. For me, it was it was music and mm-hmm. lyrics. It was it was listening. Going back to the early like Pearl Jam stuff, Eddie Vedder, like listening to that stuff. Um, uh, like you mm-hmm. know, being in, you know, you found hearing about coping. what happened to. You found your coping mechanisms. You found what works for you. Exactly. And it's not that I am a musician, but I'll tell you, like, one great therapy for me was was karaoke. (laughs) And unfortunately, Mm. during during COVID, I wasn't able to do it. But, you know, talk about, like, meeting a group of people that would just, like, literally, like, you know, make you feel safe and make you feel wanted and and uh you know there's like entertainment that's that's the greatest um aspect of it um there's some great films as well there are two great books that i read that that got me through one was street justice by chuck zito 
and the, uh, with a forward by Sean Penn, and the other one was Sean Penn is Life and Times. And I was like, okay, you know, these guys have been through wars of a different type. Uh, I can succeed as well. I have it within me, you mm-hmm. know. And and you can associate with those individuals through their writing. And then that that can be very, you can enact that yourself in society. Um, also, um, speaking with people who've had the same thing happen to them, like the guy that said that his house was torn down, his home, he lost his home, right? With mm-hmm. uh, Evergreen Building being torn down. I, 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 that was just, that was just so ingratiating to me. It made me feel like, wow. And then when he, he said that he could see it in me, without me even telling him, it was like, wow, like, I'm not alone here. I'm not you know? alone. But, mm-hmm. but thank God for the fact that I'm not on the street, you know? Mm-hmm. So, right. Always so have something to be grateful for. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us today, Anthony. He's working on a new film right now, Baptism by Fire, and that's going to be uh, loosely based on his personal life. Go check it out when it comes. Go check it out. Read up on it. In the meantime, this has been the X Show with Tony Shu and Don Shu. Mm-hmm. If you'd ever like to stop, if any listeners would ever like to uh, chat with her, she is available at the website serenitycounselingbcs.com. And if you have any questions, comments, or concerns about the show, uh, please email me at tony at xucapital.co or contact us through the BBS Radio website. Thank you so much, and have a great evening, everyone. And that's a wrap. Thanks so much for getting on the horn of us today, Anthony. <laughs>